Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Heard Tell. Uh, Heard Tell Show. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for joining us on this Friday. You've made it to the end of the week, folks. Congratulations. Uh, March the 4th, the year of our Lord 2022, just continues to roll along. Got a whole lot to cover today. Uh, we've got a story of keyboard warriors. We're all familiar with that term, but these ones are actually doing something to fight back against Russia and the Ukraine conflict. Uh, we'll touch on that story. We end the show. On a good note, like we always do, three brothers in their dog walking business where they're actually raising money for charity. The uh, One of the three brothers, Nico, who's the money man of the operation, said they might even try to make some money on the side. He's seven. It's a great little story. We'll touch on that. Uh, also, uh, we touched on the Texas elections. They got a little bit buried because they were the same day as the State of the Union. All the stuff going on with Ukraine and Russia. One of the congressmen down there, though, had himself a big night. He fell just short of having to avoid a runoff, but had a great electoral showing. And then come Wednesday morning, he announces he's not going to run for re-election. What happened? Well, it involves his long-running affair with the bride of an ISIS commander. And that's the part of the story that makes sense. We'll touch on all the rest of it, turn the noise down with our elections daily friends and their comments on that. Uh, also, uh, Andrew Egger is back on the program today. He's from The Dispatch, a writer and editor for them. He went to CPAC. Uh, he went, so we didn't have to, thankfully. But do the national narratives match what was going on on the floor? Talk about Ukraine. How did people there actually feel about the Russian invasion? Uh, big ticket items like President Trump spoke. What did they think of him? What was the reaction? And, of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who embarrassed herself by going to the uh, white nationalist conference across the street then coming back and speaking at CPAC with no repercussions and then made a spectacle of herself at the State of the Union just to make sure she stays in the public eye. We'll talk about all those things with Andrew Eger of the dispatch on the program today. But first, let's start with Russia and Ukraine. Putin made remarks uh, that we need to pay attention to. And the negotiation team that met with the Ukrainians uh, made a remark that we need to pay attention to. And you need to put the two things together to get a clear picture on what's going on. We better stop kidding ourselves about what we're seeing in Ukraine. This is not a military campaign. I know they're military and they're campaigning, but it's not a military campaign because a military campaign goes after military targets. A military campaign has military objectives. It is very clear that Vladimir Putin's objectives here are the civilian population. One night uh, he spoke on national television in Russia. He was praising the heroic action of uh, the Russian troops in the Ukraine. They did finally admit to some casualties, 498 of them. The Ukrainians say it's over 5,000. But Russia admitted to 498 of its soldiers killed. Um, and Vladimir Putin once again said that they were heroic actions fighting, quote, neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Of course, there are a few neo-Nazis scattered in Ukraine, like there are in every nation in Europe. But that's not the problem. He's saying neo-Nazis for a reason. 
The reason he's saying neo-Nazis is to otherize the Ukrainian people. Anybody he deems a neo-Nazi, he now has justification to do whatever he wants to them. Because Nazis are scum. They're the lowest form of life. We don't need to have rules for them. We don't need to have boundaries for them. We don't need to have law of armed conflict or Geneva conventions to root out the Nazis. We're fighting Nazis. And to him, anybody that doesn't submit to him in Ukraine will now be a Nazi. The other part of this is the negotiations, which are a sham, by the way. But the Ukrainians admitted that the Russians offered them this. They said they are jointly securing, this is a quote, humanitarian corridors. Now, we're going to stop right there. That sounds good. Well, humanitarian corridors. No, it's not. We saw this in Syria. We've seen this in other places. We saw this in the Balkans in the 90s. We saw it in Georgia and Chechnya. Here's what they're going to do. And here's the lie to the military campaign part of all this. They're going to start squeezing these cities. They're going to start squeezing the civilian populations. They open these humanitarian corridors so they can weaponize the refugees, and they're going to create a humanitarian crisis on purpose. They're going to besiege these cities. They're going to cut off the water. They're going to cut off the power. They're going to squeeze them and squeeze them and squeeze them. They're going to bring in heavy weaponry and lay siege to these cities, civilian populations. We're going to see atrocities and war crimes live on our social media feeds coming very soon. They're telling you what they're going to do. We saw it in Syria, but nobody cared because that was in Syria and the Middle East. They're going to do it now in Ukraine, a nation of 44 million people in Europe, and they're betting nobody will do anything to stop them. And they're probably right. But the world needs to quit kidding themselves about what's going on in Ukraine. This is not a military campaign, and Russia is not a normal country. Vladimir Putin is a bloodthirsty thug who launched a war of aggression that by its very nature is already a war crime. And the war crimes are going to start really stacking up now as they lay siege to these cities that will not submit to him. Rubble don't talk back. So he's perfectly happy making these cities rubble and killing thousands and displacing tens of thousands more to get what he wants. Humanitarian corridors are a way for them to funnel weaponized refugees directly into Western Europe. And we talked to our buddy Al Elisowski yesterday about how Western Europe isn't prepared for that. He wants a humanitarian crisis. He's going to create a humanitarian crisis, and he's going to start laying siege and laying waste to these cities. Vladimir Putin is telling you he's going to go scorched earth on the Ukrainian people, not their military, not military targets. He's going after the cities and the population because they wouldn't bend the knee to him. We need to get it right in our heads right now. We've talked about in history over and over again. Well, if we had been there in the 30s, we would have stood up to the Nazis. If we had been there in the 1800s, we would have stood up to slavery. You pick anything in history. We're always so judgmental of those people and what they did and didn't do. I'm asking you now, what's history going to say to you when Vladimir Putin is telling you he's going after civilians, he's going after cities, and he's going to lay waste to them because he thinks he deserves to, and he doesn't think we're going to stop him. Is he right? The challenge Vladimir Putin is putting is not just to Western leaders, it's not just to Ukraine, it's not just to the world order. He's putting it right in front of your face, every single one of us, with one of the great evils of our time. And he's telling us, I'm going to kill, conquer, and destroy. What are you going to do about it? And we better quit hiding behind buzzwords and flowery language and quit hiding behind diplomacies that we know aren't going to fail, but it doesn't make us uncomfortable. So we go with that first. And believe what he's telling us. Denazification, he's going to kill anybody he wants to. Demilitarization, he's going to break their will to ever be able to fight back. And the question is raised to us as it's been raised to humans throughout recorded history when true evil shows its face, takes off its mask, and starts beating on the world. What are we going to do about it? More Hertel right after this. Now let me see you go off like a bomb.
Uh, welcome back to Hertel. We always update stories. We told you the other day that buried among the State of the Union and the stuff in Ukraine, Texas had themselves a primary, did a little bit of voting down in the deep part of Texas. And we covered a few of those races, the big ticket items, attorney general, the governor's races. But uh, they had some House of Representative races and Representative Van Taylor of Texas, he's a Republican, easily uh, topped his primary field. But then in Wednesday morning, he abruptly withdrew and said he's leaving Congress. He's not going to go for a reelection bid. The reason? He got caught having an extramarital affair with the former wife of an ISIS commander. Now, this sordid weird tale, uh, you can read about it in the Washington Post. He said, uh, quote, about a year ago, I made a horrible mistake that has caused deep hurt and pain among those I love most in the world. I had an affair. It was wrong. And it was one of the greatest failures of my life. Uh, he says, I apologize for, quote, the pain I have caused with my indiscretion, most of all to my wife, Annie, and our daughters for months. Ann and I have been working to repair the scars left by my actions. I am unworthy, but eternally thankful for her love and forgiveness. The Taylor spokesman did not respond to a request. He is the 15th House Republican to decline to seek reelection. Again, he just won He won his primary. Uh, 31 House Democrats have also opted not to run in this midterm election year. Uh, but there's a little backstory here. Um, the announcement came one day after Taylor, reading from the Washington Post here, was forced into a runoff against former Collin County Judge Keith Self, who took 26% in Tuesday's primary. News of Taylor's affair with Tania Joya, I hope I'm saying that right, a former Islamist militant who now works to, quote, reprogram other extremists, had circulated on conservative websites in the days leading up to the primary. Joya told the Dallas Morning News that she and Taylor had had the affair from October to June of 2020 to 2021, respectively. In an email to supporters, Taylor wrote that he would not continue his re-election bid. The long story short here, some conservative folks had been upset at Van Taylor anyway because of some of the ways he had voted on things. He voted in favor of the Independent Bipartisan Commission for the January 6th stuff, some other things. So yeah, there was some politics involved here. But once again, if you don't have the affair, you don't have that problem to start with. Uh, just to turn down the noise on this, our friend Joe Zemanski from electionsdaily.com that does excellent work. He's been on this program several times. Put this all in a nutshell for us on the Van Taylor thing, quoting Joe here. Yes, the election nonsense played a factor, but it certainly wasn't the only factor. False accusations regarding a sex scandal were spread weeks before, and Taylor was relatively lazy campaigner this year, I'm told. That all jumbled into the night. If this was just election nonsense, Gonzalez and Crenshaw, those are two other uh, congressmen who also won would have faced significantly tougher tests and Luttrell wouldn't be avoiding a runoff altogether. So once again, a little bit of truth, a little bit of hype, a little bit of noise. Main thing is Van Taylor, if you would have just stayed home where you belong, none of this would have happened. Yeah, people came after you, but in this case, you probably deserved it. More Hertel right after this. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donson joined once again with our friend Andrew Egger. He is a writer and editor with The Dispatch. You know him from other places previously, like the Weekly Standard, writing all over, doing a lot of really good work. And we're thrilled to have you back, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again. Anytime. I uh, appreciate your time. All right. So you took one for the team. You went to CPAC, so we wouldn't have to. Uh, how was the trip to sunny Florida, my friend? I had never been to Orlando before. Uh, nice city, I think. I didn't see much of it other than my little uh, 
strip, you know, between the hotel I was at and the hotel the event was at. My hotel was right by SeaWorld. I could see the roller coasters from the front, but I didn't get to go. Uh, I like roller coasters. That made me kind of sad. Uh, but uh, but when when your whole when your whole reporting trip is like at one hotel, there's not really any reason to rent a car. So you just you know you just Uber back and forth. So I was I was much more limited than I than I prefer to be. So I can't I can't like give you you know a rundown of the city or anything like that. But uh, but you know it was sunny. I uh, I wore linen from time to time. Uh, it's a nice it's a nice little trip. Um, CPAC also happened, and I went to that too. Uh, we may have to get you a seersucker suit for the next time you're down south, my friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just go there because we know what the national coverage was. There was a lot of headlines coming out of this, a lot of social media noise, a lot of uh, mainstream media coverage of this. What was it like in the rooms? Of course, it's a conference, so there's a lot of people there. There's different halls. There's different panels. There's the main speakers. What would you say the overall feeling in the room was, though, compared to the national coverage that we were seeing? So it's hard. It's always hard to get a bead on what exactly CPAC represents for exactly the reason that you mentioned that that most of the coverage um, is like, you know, the most explosive stuff. It's the most um, eye popping stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about some of that. Um, but but the, there's two reasons why that's the case. And one is that that's just always the case, you know, that, that, that media goes for what's most interesting. And oftentimes that's what's most sensational. And especially when when, you know, covering the right is concerned. But the other reason is just that other than the sensational stuff, the, the CPAC of today is, is more than anything, just kind of really boring. I mean, it's, it's, they, they kind of, there's a lot of kind of powerful people and prominent politicians and prominent, you know, um, media figures and things that speak, but they, uh, I, I don't know whether this is an, an organizing principle of, you know, the, the, the conference organizers that, that want it to be this way, or whether it's just um, a, a speaking to the choir type event. And that's just sort of what, uh, the way it shakes out, but, but really it's, it's, uh, you get in there and it's, it's 25 people, or I guess 10 people in a day, uh, all doing kind of the same broad focus, Joe Biden jokes for kind of like panel after panel after panel on uh, ostensibly on, on all different issues, but it's, it's really, you know, your, your eyes glaze over for a lot of it because really it's there to be kind of infotainment more than anything else. They're not really there to, the the speakers aren't there to break news. Um, They're not there to like kind of really drill down on any important topics. It's really just kind of this, um, this, we're all going to get together and we all like making fun of, of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and who all else. And so we're just going to do that for, for a, a few days. Um, and, and if, insofar as news happens, it kind of is in, in the cracks and crevices between <laughs> that stuff, which is like 90% of the content. Yeah. And it, it didn't used to always be this way. Um, we've had some famous instances, of course, you know, the Trump era changed everything and it changed CPAC. And that's just one of the real visible things that changed it. Uh, we remember a couple of years ago, Mona Sharon famously getting booed off the stage at CPAC. You can pick a lot of incidences like that, but it's, you know, we're in the writing business, you and me. Let's let's just be honest and grown up here for a second. I don't cover CPAC because I know what's going to be said for the mm-hmm. large extent. Now we have, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greene kind of stuff. We'll get into that later. And of course, Trump's a live wire and you got to cover that. But even with Trump now, it's like we we've seen the movie. Isn't a lot of this just like it's a rerun of a rerun of a rerun at this point? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so so you're you're absolutely right about that. Which which I guess the 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 reverse of that is that if there's one thing that is useful about about CPAC is that because you kind of know 
where everybody's going to be coming from, like kind of the, the, the general flavor that everything's going to be, it can be useful as a temperature check if there's like something very new in the news, which actually uh, I, I probably should have mentioned this in, in, when, when you asked a minute ago, but but the, the most interesting thing for me uh, on on that front was seeing the way in which various speakers kind of bounced off the, the uh, issues surrounding Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which was happening, uh, you know, basically began concurrent with CPAC. I can't remember exactly. I think maybe the night before was when was when Russia really first went in. Uh, or maybe it was like the second day since, but it was all it was all very fresh in the news still, and people were still figuring out, you know, what to think of all of this. Um, and and so that when a lot of speakers, you know, just didn't touch it. Uh, Ron DeSantis was the first guy, uh, governor of Florida, first guy who spoke at the conference, kind of opened the thing up, and he just he just didn't touch the topic. He just talked about what he wanted to talk about before. Um, but you know, as the conference wore on, people had more time to kind of uh, you know rejigger their remarks and 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 figure out what they were going to say on Ukraine. And, and, and so that was one interesting thing was, was seeing kind of, there were kind of two camps that, that ended up developing on, on, uh, on the subject of how Americans and conservatives ought to feel about that conflict. Yeah. He's Andrew Egger from the dispatch, uh, media professional who just executed a perfectly timed segue as we would call it into the Ukraine stuff. I was going to ask him about anyway, well done. The Ukraine thing obviously was what, kind of started to dominate the national coverage you were in the hallways you're walking around you know conferences are more about rubbing elbows with people than sitting for the speakers in a lot of case did you talked about it this is a multi-day event people probably didn't really process it the first day or two because nobody knew what was going on and everybody had their priors which we know because there's a lot of notable media figures here which we won't delve into did you see a change through the weekend towards the ukraine situation was there a growing consensus that came out of this in the room? We know what the speakers were doing. And, and to be fair to the speakers, they have prepared remarks and stuff. So I'm day one, I'm not going to ding you too much on that. Did you see a shift as the week went on from the people attending? Um, it's, it's a little hard to say because everything is always kind of keyed when, when the speakers are, are talking keyed to like whatever iteration of an argument is going to elicit like an applause line or whatever. And, and, and it's a, it's a hometown crowd, you know, they're, they're, all the attendees are kind of kind of have in their mind, you know, we're conservatives, the speakers are conservatives, we're going to be like polite, we're going to we're going to be enthusiastic, all these sorts of things. I do think on the first day, say so. So on, on Thursday of last week, um, the first person who really who kind of notably went into the Ukraine thing at all was Charlie Kirk, uh, Turning Point USA, Wonderkind Charlie Kirk, um, who his line essentially was, you know, what are we all doing even like caring about this thing that's happening all the way around the world uh, in, you know, places that we can't pronounce a country we couldn't find on a map when, you know, we should really be paying attention to the crisis that's that's unfolding at our Southern border. Um, And, you know, the the Southern border matters a lot more than the Ukrainian border and that that gets collapsed. Uh, But then, you know, later on, you have speakers talking about how much we really ought to care about that. KT McFarland and and uh, Seb Gorka and Mark Levin, you know, talking about kind of the solidarity that we should have with another country attempting to be self-determining and and you know exercise uh, democracy in some form. Uh, even though obviously there's a lot of corruption in that country, but but that this is a people that's sort of striving to be self-determining in ways that we should respect and admire. Uh, getting invaded by an imperial power and that, that that's a thing we should care about whether it's halfway around the world or not that you know they get applause um i do think um 
there's two things that you can say. I think, and I, and I think it's it's basically a question of emphasis in in both in both respects. Because one, uh, anytime you got people, whether it was Charlie Kirk or later on uh, guys like Matt Gates and uh, and uh, JD Vance, who were all making sort of this this point about proportionality that that you know we really ought to care about these domestic issues more than these uh, you know international ones. When it's when it's phrased as kind of the 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 comparison like that, they were going to get collapsed. And in fact, there was a there was a poll, the the CPAC straw poll that came out at the end of the end of the weekend. I think something like eighty percent of the recipients in that poll agreed that with the statement, you know, when you're comparing the two, the southern border is more important than the Ukrainian border to me as a as a citizen, whatever. Um, but that is not to say. Uh, which I think some people thought going in that there was like a significant like pro pro Russia pro Putin uh, type contingent at CPAC, and I think the reason why a lot of people were were uh, expecting that is you know uh, for instance Tucker Carlson on Fox has has been kind of like weirdly pro Putin for like a for a while, and he's obviously you know the most prominent prominent commentator on the network, and so I think. A lot of the national media figures going into the conference kind of had that in the back of their minds that, you know, Trump likes Russia uh, or Trump likes Putin. Uh, Tucker Carlson likes Putin. Uh, Trump had made some comments, you know, calling Putin's invasion smart in, in certain ways. And so, like, there's there's this sense that, like, oh, is the Republican Party sort of like pro Russia now instead of pro pro this Democratic uh country of Ukraine, um, which kind of, it just kind of fit in, in sort of the, the narratives that, that, that these people were sort of building up for themselves. And I did not find that borne out at all, like at any point in time. Um, I think that any time uh, the speakers were talking about, you know, Ukrainians right to be self-determining and, and our sort of uh, moral obligation, if not like policy obligation to, to like, at least, you know, intellectually support them to say nothing of supplying arms. Some, some, some speakers did say, you know, let's, let's send them all the arms they have so they can kill all these, you know, kill all these bastards that they can. Mark Levin said something like that got huge applause. Um, so I do think that, that, you know, even though you have seen, I think this, this impulse in the Republican party and the conservative movement to, to sort of reorient just, just as a matter of framing, okay, that stuff over there matters, but let's not lose track of this stuff at home. That doesn't mean that, like, if you're if you're just keeping score over there, the people would be anything other than sort of pro pro Ukraine and, and pretty strongly so. Is it more fair, perhaps, than to get into the ideology of it that there's certain people at CPAC and you just named them the Gateses of the world? These people, the Charlie Kirks of the world, who you know has the intellectual depth of a millimeter. Uh, is it fair to say, like, the national narrative? They're trying to apply a lot of policy stuff to this, but a lot of these guys, it really is just an applause line to them. Well, and it's 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 an attempt to carve out like a, a sort of unique policy space because there's there's this really there's this real sense. I mean, n- nobody in Republican politics wants to be establishment at all ever, right? I mean, that's just that, and that's not new. That that goes back for a while. Um, but but for some of these guys, uh, there is this real sense that that kind of like the worst establishment, like the most insidery beltway establishment you can be, is uh, is like a neocon, like a hawk. Um, pro intervention in, in foreign wars, you know, the, the, the whole crowd who talks about endless wars and things like that, um, you know, not not without reason, given some of the uh, catastrophic consequences of some of the interventions we've had in the past. But 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 it, it really is just sort of like a, an attempt to carve out a, a, a specific uh, niche, I think, because there are a, a, a huge number of Republicans who sort of have that libertarian e 
impulse toward foreign conflict where where you know they they themselves uh don't think we should be getting embroiled in 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 conflicts around the world but they kind of have this sense that maybe everybody else does or maybe maybe if if the if the libertarians aren't loud enough that that we're just going to because the the there's a foreign policy establishment in dc that that really wants to just kind of embed itself in any conflict whatsoever and so it's it's kind of a low cost way for guys like Gates and Vance to to um, to set themselves apart as as being kind of unique or, or, or good vessels to channel that energy, um, because not other people other people aren't doing it right now because it's so obvious that that Putin is the aggressor and Ukraine is sort of being victimized and and so where everybody else is just kind of doing the the natural obvious human thing of of speaking up in solidarity they thus see an opportunity to kind of share, uh, ha- have, have a land to themselves, really, where they're still arguing something defensible, uh, uh, arguably defensible that, you know, at the very least, we should be, you know, uh, sticking up for, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be uh, participating in foreign policy at the expense of domestic policy. Uh, but they're really, the, only, the only real reason to go there is, like you say, to, to have the sort of political payoff. Yeah, talking to Andrew Egger. Uh, when we come back, more CPAC reacts. Uh, the main event, Donald Trump was there. He got asked the question about Ukraine, which side he was on. He answered with a resounding yes. And how do you solve a problem like Marjorie Taylor Greene? More with Andrew Egger of the Dispatch on her tell right after this. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Our friend Andrew Egger, uh, the Dispatch, does good work there, writing and editing and doing all sorts of things. And he did God's work by going to CPAC, so we didn't have to. Okay, the main event at CPAC for the last couple of years has always been Donald J. Trump, the former president of the United States, uh, well-received, as he always is. But then he he didn't have any fear of those early speakers. He waded knee-deep into the Ukraine thing. The interesting part, and you wrote about it at the Dispatch, everybody should go and read it, was... He took a look at the political arguments on both sides. He took a look at his own history on both sides, and he said yes. And he straddled that fence for a good 20, 25 minutes worth of speaking time, didn't he? Yeah, well, it's, so it's in in some respects, it's nice no longer to be the president when there's crises that are happening, right? Because because whatever whatever it is that you're going to say, the first and last thing you're going to say is, well, you know. I obviously would have handled this better. Like we all know Biden's doing badly and I would have done better. Probably if I were president, Putin never would have invaded at all. He basically said, um, but, but the, what we were just talking about with the kind of two sides of this, of this Ukraine question, what was really interesting all through Trump's presidency was how both of these sorts of constituencies constantly claimed him as their own. You know um, he, he would talk about uh you know, the need to get out of, uh, of the Middle East, the need to get out of Afghanistan, the need to wrap up our, our endless wars. Um, but then he would also uh, occasionally zag away from that. And, and you know, he ordered the strike that, that killed Qasem Soleimani. He ordered, you know, various uh, retaliatory strikes throughout his presidency, uh, pretty intense sanction regime here and there on, on various uh, hostile powers. Um, and so you, there, there was always enough stuff where both uh, hawks and doves in the Republican Party 
could kind of lay claim to Trump as their own, which was helpful for everybody because everybody always wanted to be on Trump's side uh, in Republican politics because he was uh, incredibly popular among Republican voters. And we basically saw that again with this Ukraine uh, or with his speech on Saturday night in which he he uh, dwelt on Ukraine at, at, at some length. On the one hand, he was castigating President Biden for getting out of Afghanistan uh, and 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 basically saying that that, you know, by doing that, he had kind of greenlit Putin to go back into uh, or to go into Ukraine without without consequences. And then he he even sort of laughed off the notion that that these economic sanctions that a bunch of governments have been putting on Russia, which are not small. I mean, they're, they're kind of really stringent economic measures that the, the world is, has been responding uh, to this invasion with, surprisingly so for a lot of people. Um, but he kind of laughed those off. He said, uh, the NATO nations and indeed the world, and I'm, just, I'm just quoting this now, the NATO nations and indeed the world, as Putin looks over what's happening strategically with no repercussions or threats whatsoever, they're not so smart. They're looking the opposite of smart. If you take over Ukraine, we're going to sanction you, they say. Sanction? Well, it's a pretty weak statement. Putin is saying, oh, they're going to sanction me. They sanctioned me for the last 25 years. You mean I can take over a whole country and they're going to sanction me? You mean they're not going to blow us to pieces, at least psychologically? And, and they've so far allowed him to get away with this travesty and assault on humanity, which is I mean, this really strong language. I mean, it's like this, this universalizing language that, that Putin is not just kind of invading, uh, invading a neighboring country, not just like trying to reclaim uh, some people who are like culturally Russian anyway, or, you know, some, some of the ways that, that, that people have tried to minimize this. But here's, you know, Donald Trump saying that this attack is an assault on humanity. Um, but then at the same time, uh, he he later in the speech kind of goes goes back to the he doesn't ever actually say endless wars or anything like that but he 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 goes back to that uh he he does a victory lap on, on that side of things too he says you know I, I i wasn't the president who like got us into more wars i was the president who ended wars and and in fact there was a lot of continuity between trump's afghanistan policy and biden's afghanistan policy trump had already kind of like set us on the road to that withdrawal that biden then carried out so it was just sort of like this weird thing where where trump is almost like almost arguing with his own foreign policy in the speech and nobody really kind of calls him out on this in kind of republican foreign policy world because there's not really any incentive to for the reason i i mentioned before which is that everybody would just prefer to just say well, look at this thing Trump said, he's clearly a hawk. Or look at this thing said, he's he, this thing Trump said, he's clearly a dove. And and uh, and just kind of keep laying claim to him as their own. If if he were still president, we would be able to kind of set all that aside and judge judge what was happening based on his what he was actually carrying out, you know, whether he was being more hawkish or dovish in this instance. But he was asked in an interview, I think I can't remember whether it was before his speech or after, but but point blank asked, you know, what what would you be doing differently? What should Biden be doing differently? He's like and he, he gave like one of the classic dodges of all time where he's like, well, you know, I, uh, I, I, I can't really say I shouldn't really say in case any policymakers want to come, you know, uh, asking my opinion, I shouldn't put it out there publicly, which is the sort of thing he would do all the time as president and kind of made sense when he was actually president. And, and, you know, it, maybe it would make sense to, to keep some of these actual decisions uh, close to the chest, but, but was pretty plainly just kind of blowing smoke now. Uh, the other headlining person after Donald Trump, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm not going to take the time to dig into it. If you don't know who Nick Flintez is, Google it with your uh, security settings on maximum, please, because he is a, a despicable human being who has long been shunned by anybody who has the ability to read. He's that bad, folks. I'm not overstating it. 
she spent part of her CPAC weekend over at his conference across the street. I don't buy her answer because you can never get a member of Congress to go anywhere without pre-planning. She took lots of photos with him before, during, and after the speech. You can look up what she said at the speech itself and her tepid response. My question with this is, (laughs) if I'm the CPAC folks, why did this not upset them? And the fact that it didn't upset them and they can't even respond on the record. I'm, I'm talking to people like Matt Schlepp and these folks whose name are attached to CPAC. What is it? What should we read from that? Because it seems pretty apparent to me to read from that is like you're, you're either scared to say anything about it or you're OK with her doing it. I don't really see a real third option here. Do you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the most charitable thing that you could say about uh Schlapp and ACU is that, and, and, and CPAC institutionally is that it took them by surprise. Um, they, it was, it was the night before, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene was, uh, publicly scheduled to speak at CPAC. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was Friday or Saturday morning now, I guess it was Saturday morning. Um, and, and that had been, you know, she'd been announced for days. It, it, she was always going to be there. She was just on a panel. She wasn't like a headline speaker or anything like that. But, you know, she's a very prominent person uh, in, in kind of uh, grassroots land, the conservative media landscape. And, uh, and the night before that uh, was this America First political action conference uh, that, uh, of Nick Fuentes's. And she had not been scheduled to speak there. She had not been announced um, she was a, a surprise guest um, and, and she came up and she talked to them and uh, and it was live streamed. So it goes out the night before. And that puts uh, that puts CPAC in a bind. Right. Because suddenly they can't sort of set this thing to the side. They can't sort of remain apart from uh, the AFPAC stuff. They have to really sort of make a judgment one way or the other, whether whether they're going to just sort of like a, let Marjorie Taylor Greene say her piece and then as far as they're concerned, forget it ever happened, <laughs> forget she ever spoke at, at AFPAC or anything like that, or cancel her, right? I mean, take her, take her off stage. And and there's hardly anything that you can do that's that's more unforgivable in Republican Party politics these days than be seen as an agent of cancellation, be seen as someone who's shutting down speech, right? Um, now, CPAC themselves, uh, they plainly do not, uh, Matt, Matt Schlapp doesn't support Nick Fuentes. Um, in fact, for years, uh, Fuentes and, and his his goons have been banned from from CPAC. And they I mean, they've they've tried to make a stink at the at the event a number of times. Uh, they've, you know, marched in and gotten themselves kicked out uh, on a few occasions. The whole the whole, the whole existence of AFPAC uh, is supposed to be kind of like a, a white nationalist protest against uh, kind of ossified institutional conservatism in their minds that CPAC represents. Right. Um, so it's not like they're, they're making common cause <laughs> Matt Schlapp and, and Nick Quintess in any way, but by virtue of the fact that like Marjorie Taylor Greene had committed to CPAC and then went back the other way, that's, that's where, where then if you're Schlapp, you're in your own sort of personal, uh, cost benefit analysis, you, you're kind of stuck with no good options. And obviously it's, you know, us as, third-party observers sitting here, it's easy to say, well, there was a, a good option, which is to cut Marjorie Taylor Greene off at the knees. Um, and and that, that would have been, you know, the thing to do if if what you care about is, you know, the health of the movement and, and things like that. Basically, any, anybody that touches Nick Fuentes, white nationalist, uh, is immediately not welcome back in, in non-white nationalist conservative circles, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's a functional, a functional movement would would operate according to rules like that but uh insofar as 
that's a rule of the modern conservative movement, it is at least a secondary rule because the the primary rule, and we saw this, um, is always just don't become, don't ever be on the same side as the cancelers, as the media, as the Democrats. Um, and so when Marjorie Taylor Greene shows up at, at CPAC after being at AFPAC and it, it's immediately like a press story, um, people are like, whoa, like, uh, cause it's crazy that that happened. Um, and it gets covered. And then it immediately, because it's getting covered, it enters into this very familiar cycle of, are we going to, are we going to cancel her? Or are we going to, you know, let her have her free speech or whatever? Um, and, and, and obviously if you're Matt Schlapp, the, the, the safest play in order to avoid offending anybody you actually care about, which is potential CPAC uh, attendees uh, or current CPAC attendees is just to go to ground and, and kind of ignore the, the thing altogether. But that's the problem here. Talking to Andrew Eger. Uh, the buzzword of cancel culture, which everybody likes to wield like a weapon, like their brave heart running across the open field to go fight the English. They want to yell cancel culture. The problem is at some point you have to be able to police your own and have some accountability or you are lumped in with those people. And everybody who's not, you know, died in the wolves, CPAC, conservative, whatever term you want to use here to lump those people all together if you got one of them in there, you're going to get lumped in with them to the you're marginalizing yourself by not policing your own and holding your own accountability. They've really got themselves a mess here with her um, to a lesser extent. Gates, who came out and support her. Gosser spoke to these folks last year. It was the same thing again. There's going to be somebody next year probably do it again if they don't get a claim. The, the CPAC and that side of the Republican Party's got a real problem on their hands where they've put themselves in a position. You just said it. They don't seem to be able to police anything in and of themselves. So they're going to they're going to marginalize themselves going forward, are they not? Well, it's just it's it's remarkable how quickly this sort of thing has has sort of overtaken uh, not just sort of CPAC, but kind of the whole the whole Republican Party. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that that uh, Steve King, the congressman from Iowa at that time, said said some. I mean, who, who you know had a long history of kind of incendiary comments about immigrants and things like that. But but he he said something that that was a little too close to the line of sort of like white nationalism, and there was a huge upheaval within the party um, at that time. Majority leader, majority leader Kevin McCarthy uh, took action against him, stripped him of his committee assignments, um, and he was gone from Congress shortly after that because he was successfully primaried because nobody wants a, a congressman who has no power. And doesn't sit on any committees and can't get anything done. Um, but that was just a little bit ago. I mean, and now uh, what we saw from Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, she did not in 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 speech uh, endorse white nationalism or anything like that. But she, you know, very plainly uh, showed up alongside this guy uh, at his conference, made common cause, and and only kind of very half heartedly walked it back. Paul Gozar, like you say, spoke there last year. He spoke there again this year in a, in a video conference. Uh, he didn't attend, but he called in. Uh, and we're not seeing it yet, at least so far, any kind of institutional retribution uh, from from their bosses in Congress at all. Um, and and we're unlikely to see uh, anything like that. And 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 you know when when that when even that kind of final guardrail. I mean, it, you just, it just seems like you're kidding yourself uh, to, to to think if you're Kevin McCarthy or or Matt Schlapp or any of these guys that if you just kind of keep your head in the sand long enough, the problem will go away. I mean, I guess at least if you are Matt Schlapp, the longer you keep your head in the sand, 
the more successive years, CPAC is a big money maker for your organization. Um, so there's that. Uh, I don't. I don't know what Kevin McCarthy's thinking. That that consideration doesn't doesn't really play in for him. Kevin's thinking he's going to get some knives in the back come January if they get the majority. But we'll talk yeah. about that as we get closer to it, my friend. Uh, yeah, it's it's a bad say. And then you get her heckling at the State of the Union because you've never told her to sit down and shut up. So now she's going to yell whenever she feels like it. Real quick, Andrew Eger, before we let you go, you were in the halls. You talk to people behind the scenes. You've talked to staffers. Uh, the thing about CPAC is, is there's just a lot of people in the same place to kind of get a temperature check. Like you said, uh, Trump was there. Is he running? What do they think? Oh, it really seems like he is. I mean, I don't think he himself has decided yet, but he that's where all the that's all the momentum is moving that direction. It seems like it seems like he with, with Biden kind of suffering in the polls, uh, I, I think the. And, and looking like a really vulnerable candidate potentially in 2024, I think he would love nothing more than to get a rematch against him. And if it's not Biden, if, if, you know, uh, it's Kamala Harris or something like that, I so much the better even. I mean, I think, I think he has said things in recent months that, that have caused some people to perk up their ears and be like, maybe, maybe he, what he really wants is to be a kingmaker this time around and, and kind of throw his weight behind a guy and kind of win vicariously through them. But I, but, that didn't, that wasn't what it sounded like, uh, when he spoke and that's not kind of the, 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 that's not where the momentum is in, in his camp. I think, I think I would be surprised if he didn't run again in 2024. Yeah. He's, he actually read up on some foreign policy that always perks my ear up. Like, uh Oh, he actually studied something. Pay attention to this. Andrew yeah. Egger, uh, appreciate all the hard work on this. You wrote four separate pieces over CPAC. So you got good content out of it. If nothing else, at the dispatch, make sure you check them out. Let folks know where they can find the dispatch and follow you on social media and everywhere else you got going on, my friend. Yeah, you bet. Just the dispatch.com uh, articles, newsletters, podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you could follow me on Twitter if you feel like it at Egger DC, although you won't get much out of me uh, for a little while because I'm off of it for Lent. Um, and uh, and yeah, that's uh, so you'll if, if, if you're if you want more of this, I guess you'll just have to you'll have to go the institutional route to the dispatch.com. <laughs> Don't worry, us Baptists will hold Twitter down until y'all get done with your Lent stuff. Yeah, we'll right, be here right. for you, my friend. Uh, Andrew Egger, we'll happily have you back whenever you got stuff going on. Appreciate your time, my friend. All right, thanks for having me on. Thank you, sir. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. We've been talking a lot about Ukraine, but we've also been talking about the cyber warfare in Ukraine and the way the internet and technology has played up. Our guest, Yal Elisovsky, talked about that. John McCumber talked about the cyber war that wasn't that a lot of people thought it was and what it's turning into now. If you missed either of those guests, go check out the good talks on the YouTube channel playlist and or any of the podcasting platforms and re-listen to what they said. This is an interesting news item out of Reuters. Uh, keyboard army using restaurant reviews to take on the Russian state misinformation campaign. Listen to this. Russia's communications regulator has accused 10 local media outlets of falsely depicting what Russia calls a special operation. That's their lie for the illegal war of aggression in the Ukraine, which by definition is a war crime. They call it a special operation. Screw them. We're going to call it what it is. Uh, they illegally invaded Ukraine and are massacring the Ukrainian people for no good reason. Moving back to this, uh, to demilitarize Ukraine on Tuesday, Russia took radio station Eko Moscovy off air because its coverage of the invasion. But online comments on platforms such as Google Maps and Afrisha.ru, that's a website, are used uh, for Russian websites, obviously. Widely used lifestyle and entertainment website in Russia are harder to contain, especially as Internet users turn to online tools such as VPNs to circumvent 
restrictions on social media. Yael was talking about this the other day. In a review of one of Moscow's most popular seafood restaurants on Afisha.ru, one user wrote, the deployment of troops to Ukraine is a war, not a special operations. Military pol- Russian military killed children and civilians with a whole bunch of exclamation points. Another wrote, the place was nice. However, Putin spoiled our mood by invading Ukraine. Rise up against your dictator. Stop killing innocent people. Your government is lying to you. Russia rejects the term invasion, saying its actions are not designed to occupy territory, but to destroy Ukrainian military capabilities and capture what it regards as dangerous nationalism. That's a lie because they're leveling cities. They're not even attacking military targets right at the moment. The identity of the authors behind the online comments cannot be verified. The numerous reviews prompt Moscow's mayor, Sergei Zobinian, to say foreign online users were mounting a psychological information attack, saying most of the information was coming from bots. Please do not fall for calls of provocateurs, he said. They are aimed at undermining the governance of the city and creating an atmosphere of chaos. Don't invade other countries, you jackass. They are trying to divide us, he said. A Twitter account associated with international hacking collective Anonymous, which has announced plans to take aims at Russia's online presence, has urged people to write reviews on Google Maps about what's happening in Ukraine. Online users in Russia also recommend a strategy of posting pictures of Ukraine and reviews for popular eateries. In the text, write about the war and the attached the photo of destroyed houses, casualties, and bomb shelters, one Instagram user wrote. Once again, the internet is undefeated. Life will find a way. And people online, if you're doing something wrong, are going to figure out a way to call you out on it. So good luck smashing every single comment of the internet, Russia. You're going to need it because the whole world is on to you. And we're going to use food reviews and Google Maps to make sure you know about it and make sure everybody else knows about it. You're not going to win the propaganda war because we got truth on our side and we got way too many methods to get that truth out. God bless everybody that is fighting the information war and taking it to the Russians where they can't even adjust quick enough to stop them. Kind of like their logistics mess with the convoys. More Hurtel right after this. Welcome back to Hurtel Show. We always end on a happy note. Love this story. This is a fun one. Pandemic lockdowns had us all going stir crazy. This is a story from uh, WINK. Uh, that extra energy is one of the reasons behind a business created by three brothers. They might seem the youngest entrepreneurs in Naples. Andrew's 13, Mark is 11, and Nico's only seven. But together, the Sanchez boys own Brothers Unleashed. Quote, we wanted to have a way to help pets, charities, and make some money at the same time. Said Andrew, the business is in Mark's bedroom. Not sure why he got the nod there, but who knows? He is hands-on and showed Wink News just how they create their product. From here to here is the handle, and from here to here is the snap, as he showed the various dog leashes and harnesses they use. The leashes are made from six pieces by the three brothers and had a little help from their mom. Their leash, their leash business is legit, and their dog Twix is the business's mascot. It's a really cute uh, dash and hound. Uh, you can see Twix on the business card on their website where you can order a single or double leash. We knew it was kind of hard to untangle two dogs because you have two leashes because they just all tangle up, said Mark, who hosts everybody in his bedroom again. Nico is the talker of the three brothers in the business and has a knack for making money. His technique, quote, just do like normal salesman stuff, he said. He's only seven, you see. Part of their profit is donated back to pet charities. Just last week, the boys were able to give the Humane Society in Naples a $300 check. It really makes me feel like we are creating something and it's helping and like getting somewhere, said Andrew. The boys have given back more than $1,500 to their community. They are saving the other parts of their profit for college. If you'd like to buy one of their leashes, you can find out more at Brothers Unleashed. You can also do so by clicking in the article, Brothers Unleashed. They have a website and everything. Uh, So 
not bad for people, three brothers who <laughs> have the combined age of being 34 years old between the three of them. Good story. That'll do it for her to tell today. Uh, more heavy news topics, but that's what we got to do. We talk about the good stuff. We don't duck it. I also want to bring a little light and shine into the world. We appreciate you wherever you are across the street or around the world. If you're watching on YouTube or on the Facebook feed for Big Talker Networks, that looks great. Yalel, our friend who was on the other day, has been rematching that. Big Talker Network, uh, their Listen Live tab, uh, their app is being revamped. We're going to be on all those. They stream our program 6 a.m., 3 p.m. every day. You can support them there. But you need to subscribe. Uh, YouTube, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts, if you watch on the YouTube page, if you subscribe, that way you don't miss anything. You'll get Herd Tell every weekday morning with good talk interview segments every afternoon. And anytime we do a long form deep dive podcast, those will all be in there. You get the entire archive, all of it for free. Only costs you a click. If you want to use two clicks, you can share it with people. Make sure you put it on social media. Let people know our little program is worth checking out. We sure appreciate it. So until we do Hertel again, another week in the books as we roll through the year of our Lord 2022 together, turning down the noise of the new cycle. We hope you are well. We hope you are well fed. And we'll talk to you tomorrow on Hertel. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.